book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. Carlton, I appreciate the introduction. I, I want you all to know um, how special of a church you all are to all of us, at, to every tribe. You not only have sent us to amazing missionary couples that are doing amazing work at the one up north Canada, one south Texas, Mexico, um, but also just your support and commitment. You know, as some of you probably know, some of you might not know, Carlton serves on the board at To Every Tribe, not only is he a board member, but he's an instructor in the training program and, and a mentor to many missionaries. And so we're just grateful for your commitment. And you have had an eternal impact in your commitment to global missions. Like, it's really a big deal. And uh, yesterday was really the fruit of that. Corey, what an amazing job putting this together yesterday and everyone that was involved. Because, it, you know, I, I get to speak a lot, a lot of different places. And one of the things that uh, I've been a part of is a lot of missions conferences. And they're oftentimes just like a, you know, like a golden corral, if you have one of those around. There's a bunch of just mission stuff on a table and people are just kind of eating from it. But this was very logical. This was a very structured event. And I was learning things as people were talking, and it was just so uh, well orchestrated, so, such a flow that, uh, man, it was a blessing to me. So that's a, a lot of amazing work, and I'm, I'm appreciative. And I've been looking forward to coming here, opening the Word. There's been a place I've been wanting to come for a long time, so I'm glad the Lord opened the door for this. And, and I get the joy and the privilege of not coming up here giving a missions presentation, but to actually be in the Word of God in the midst of your Advent series. And I'm really excited about this. And man, I'm just pumped about the series itself. And I get to step into the second space that, that we're looking at this Sunday. Last week, Carlton opened the, Pastor Carlton opened up the door for us to, to be able to understand Man, we talk about the advent of Jesus. What are we waiting for when Christ comes back? Well, man, in order to understand the advent of Jesus, you got to go to the end, right? And that's what last week was. you got to stand up at that end. you got to say, man, what is God doing? What God is doing is redeeming a people for himself, clothing them in his righteousness, allowing them to stand in his presence, blameless and with great joy, to worship him for all eternity. It's an amazing thing that he's doing. And last week, if you were not here, you should listen to the sermon to, to see all that God is doing, where this thing is going to end. And it's going to end at an amazing space, amazing place where people from every tribe and nation and tongue, and us included, will all be in this moment where we get to worship Christ. So now comes to this week's sermon. What's the point? Where are we at this week? This week, we're taking the same idea now. We're, we're, we're taking it one step back now. If that's the end, if that's the advent, right? If Christ's return is having all these people clothed in his righteousness, worshiping him for all eternity, then why are we here? What's the weight? What's the purpose of life now? The purpose of life now is that we're on mission going out and gathering those people. The Lord is using us to draw those people in. And so why the wait? Why, wouldn't, why does Christ wait 2,000 plus years? Why is the Lord tearing? The Lord is tearing because you have family members that don't know, don't know Christ, probably. Right? There's people in this neighborhood who don't know Christ. There's people around the world that don't know Christ. Why is he tearing? He's tearing because he's leaving us here to gather those people in. That's the purpose of this space of your life. The ultimate ends. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the mission the mission is the point right now, and what we're going to do as we go through this is I, I want to show you something. We're jumping in the middle of a text. We're going to look at Romans 15, 
I'm going to start at verse 14. I'm going to cut it off at 24. So we're kind of pulling a section out of a thought. I'll try to set the context so you can see how it fits. But what I want to show you in this little section here in Romans 15 is Paul is showing how the mission to the nations is what God is doing to prepare for the advent of Jesus. This is directly related. And I want to show this to you today as we go through this. Now, I've got two thoughts that I want to hang this on. Right? Two, kind of two points that we're going to hang these texts on. The majority of, our ta- of, of this text, we're going to hang on this one thought that says this, the heart of mission is worship. We're going to see this. The heart of mission, or you can say the heart of missions, even those two separate things, but both are true. The heart of mission or the heart of missions is worship. I want you to see that. We're going to spend most of our time looking at that point. Then the second thing we're going to see when we get to the end is what drives worship is mission. What drives worship is mission. Now, I actually had another outline that seemed a bit more acoustic, which was the, what drives worship is not music, but mission. But man, I just love that music so much. I, to this morning, I just, just should I change the outline or not? You know, like, that was a wonderful music this morning. I'm not going after music at all. But what I want us to see, though, is that mission is really a driving force and music is the way we get to express that, right? So, so I want you to see this. The heart of mission is worship. What drives worship is mission. We're going to see this, and here's what I want you to understand. Here's the practical thing for you. Here's your take home that I want you to get now. In case you want to go to sleep, listen, right? And then you can go to sleep. Here's the point I want you to get. Your relationship with God is not just about you and Jesus. Remember that. It's not just about you and Jesus. Your relationship with God is this. God has called you out of the world to clothe you in his righteousness, to send you back in the world to get more people. That's the point. If it was just about clothing you in his righteousness, then you would place your faith in Jesus and you would be raptured instantly because that's the best way to make you perfect, right? But he leaves you here because he's got work for you to do. I want you to catch that. And how does this fit into the advent of the Lord? This is why we're waiting. We're waiting because there are still people that are going to be part of that worship service. And we got to go get them. Christ is, and it's a mission that can't fail because God is the one who saves, man. We're just the one that proclaims. So, you, you, you know, it's, a, it's like the only victorious thing in your life is this mission. Everything else will fail, but this won't. So, let's look at it. The heart of mission is worship. Now, let me set a little context for you because, man, I don't like just ripping passages out of text and, and not setting a context. So, just give me a second here to set the context. Many of you have read the book of Romans. If I study the book of Romans, I believe you're going to be studying. Am I saying something I shouldn't say right now? Okay. believe you're going to be studying Romans next. <laughs> Okay, just making sure. I was like, stop, stop. No, I changed it. <laughs> no. um, and in this letter, there's amazing things. And you study, there's a lot of great truth in here. There's a lot of incredible unpacking of, of the gospel. But, and, and, and yet what Paul is doing at the very end of this letter is he's explaining the mission. Because the gospel is both a message and a mission. You have to remember that. It's not just a message. It's a message and a mission all in one. 
right? It's like Rice Krispie Treats. It's both the title and the recipe, all in one, okay? That is probably like a two youth group of an illustration, I'm sorry. But this is the point, right? It's a message and a mission. So what Paul's doing at the end of the letter is he's going to explain to the Romans why he hasn't come. He was going to come and encourage them. He's going to come and wants to, he wants to come there. He hasn't come, and at the very end, he's going to explain to them, and he's going to say, listen, it's not you. You're not the reason I haven't come. I don't have an issue with you. I've been on this mission, and I need you to understand this mission because, as we're going to see today, I'm going to invite you into it. I'm inviting you into this mission. And so we begin this kind of apology like, hey, I haven't come to you. Don't take it personally. Let me tell you what I've been doing. And so Paul begins this description here in verse 14 by saying, hey, it's not you guys. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 15. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So he leads off, right? You see what he's saying, guys? It's not you. You guys bear the marks of maturity. Those three things that are mentioned there would be the marks of a mature Christian. We're going to briefly look at them. You'll get to exposit them probably seven or eight years from now with Carlton, Pastor Carlton. But, uh, but I'll kind of set it out a little bit ahead of time here. First one, full of goodness. He says, you're full of goodness. Goodness means lacking nothing. And when you think about somebody full of goodness, it means that their lives have been transformed. They've transformed lives. They are loving what God loves or hating what God hates, man. Their life is reflecting the gospel. He's saying, you guys have this life where your choices reflect the nature of the goodness of God. All that, the, the righteousness that, that, that Pastor Carlson talked about last week that we get in Christ, man. He's saying it's actually fleshing out and you have a life transformed. Then he says, not only is you're full of goodness, he says you're filled with all knowledge. Now that's not saying that they're just super smart. I like to say it this way, their minds are renewed. Right? I mean, they, they really get it. They, they're not like the, 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 the letter to the Hebrews where he said, man, you guys are like, I want to give you meat, but you're, you need milk right now. He's saying you guys are eating some really good meat here. Right? you got, you got transformed lives. you got renewed minds. You understand this gospel message, and you're able to instruct one another. You're able to build each other up. Now, the word instruct there actually means to admonish. But this is not, he's not ref referring to somebody who's just sitting back like a critic, you know, like that person who writes blogs at 2 in the morning attacking everybody for everything that they're doing. It's not that, okay? This is that element of like, Man, they're able to build each other up. They're able to come alongside and say, let me help you. In fact, let me correct you. Let me help you so that you understand the application of the gospel in this phase, in this part of your life. So their lives are transformed. Their minds are renewed. They're able to build each other up. This is what they are reflecting. This is who they are. It's pretty amazing. But in notice verse 15, he goes a little bit deeper now, and he says, okay, but on some points... I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now that is a thick sentence, so let's kind of just unpack this here a little bit. He says, at some points I've written to you very boldly 
You say, what, what did he write boldly? What, what does that mean that he's written these points boldly to them? Well, you know, I was kind of going back and reading through Romans, and I was reading it through the lens of this passage here. It's kind of going back. It's okay. Let me read this now. As I, as I know where Paul's writing, you know, as, as he's concluding this letter, let's go back. And I realize in those first four chapters, I saw a, a missional side to those chapters that, that maybe I had, I had not really seen before to the depth that it is. You know, Paul goes out of his way in chapter 1 to say, man, you know, the righteousness of God is revealed, and, and, and so is the wrath of God, right? It's revealed against all ungodliness. And then he goes on to start saying, man, everybody's ungodly, right? The pagan's ungodly, the, the religious person's ungodly, the Jew's ungodly, everybody's ungodly, no one is righteous, but God's revealed his righteousness. And so that kind of, that's a summary of chapters 1, 2, and 3, right? It's revealed his righteousness. But then he gets to chapter 4, and he says, now let me tell you about Abraham. And now in chapter 4, he starts to unpack this thing about Abraham, and he asks this question, when was, you know, let, let, let's think about this life of Abraham. When he was declared righteous, was he circumcised or not circumcised? He says, well, he wasn't circumcised. He said, well, what's the point of that? The point of that is this. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but Abraham was born in Ur, right? Where's Ur? Babylon. He's a Babylonian, right? I mean, and if you know anything about the Bible, the Babylon, Babylon's like the bad place, right? I mean, that's the bad spot. He comes out. He's Babylonian, and what happens when he's Babylonian? He places his faith in God and the promises of God, and this Babylonian is declared just. And that just stance stayed all the way through until he was circumcised. And Paul says, why? So that he could be both the father of the Gentile and the father of the Jew. Abraham is a picture of the church. Jew and Gentile justified by faith. Now why does he write that? Why is he write that? Because this is the mission we're on, man. We're going after those Gentiles. We're going after them. Paul is saying, do you understand? I've been explaining to you this mission. I've written boldly about it. I've exposited it through the Old Testament. And then notice how he then backs this up. I've written you boldly because of the grace given to me. Now you can see why Paul would say the grace given to me because he's going to talk about his ministry. He knows he's a murderer. He knows he's not qualified in one sense. Like, this was the last guy you'd ever expect to be a missionary to the Gentiles, right? I mean, a devout Jew who was trying to kill other Jews because they weren't Jewish enough, you know? And then this guy sent to the Gentiles, so, and that's just a great point there, that it's all by God's grace, right? For all of us, we are doing everything we do because of God's grace. But notice this in verse 16, he's a minister of Christ Jesus. Now, remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It's his title. He's Messiah, that's what it means. So he's a minister of the Messiah, Jesus, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Think about that statement. Priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now think about that statement there for a minute. Here's what he's saying. I am like a priest what does a priest do? Priest has to follow the law to prepare an animal to be sacrificed, right? That's what a Jewish priest would have done. Any priest, even a pagan priest, is preparing some kind of sacrifice. He's saying, okay, I see myself as a priest, and the Gentiles are the offering I'm bringing to the Lord. 
but we're not killing them. We're bringing the righteousness of Jesus so that they could be transformed, so that they could have their life transformed, their mind renewed, and they can build each other up in love, like the Roman church. And what does that happen? That then becomes the worship. You see, the worship of God is when a life is transformed that was previously opposed to God. Right? That's worship. And so Paul, as a missionary, if you want to put that title on him, says, man, I kind of see myself as a priest, and I see these guys as the offering, and I see the fact that if we can bring the gospel, and then, as he says at the end, the Spirit would work to sanctify Take that word that's being proclaimed, apply it, transform the lives of the person. As they begin to obey God, it becomes worship to the Lord. This is the mission. right? You see how we talk about the mission being driven by worship. It's not about getting the Gentiles saved so they can go to heaven. It's about getting people redeemed and renewed so they can worship God. All right? See the difference? Right? What happens in our world is that we reduced evangelism down to getting people saved. And then we move on. Right? But it's not about that. It's getting people renewed. Right? The first step of discipleship is evangelism. But we're not done once they're saved. So their lives transformed. So he's saying, this is, this is what I've been doing, guys. This is my mission. Okay? And this is really what goes back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we'd present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice to him. Acceptable, pleasing to him. This is the heart of worship. This is the heart of mission. The two are intrinsically linked. Okay? And so what we learn is that as God sends us to the four corners of the earth to preach the gospel and establish people in the gospel... The goal is they would then walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and become a living sacrifice to God. Which then comes the end, which you looked at last week. God gathers all those people and they worship him for all eternity. So we're all part of that. This is what this space is for, is the point. This is what the pause is about. And if the Lord tarries, we get to add more worshipers, which is great. Now Paul then gets to kind of his apex a little bit here in verse 17 he says in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God I think this is all tied in and you'll see it here in a minute it's all tied into the fact that he's saying hey I haven't come and I know you're probably mad or upset why I didn't come I'm telling you this is why and in fact I'm happy I haven't come yet because I'm boasting what Jesus has done through me he's not boasting in himself right this is not him Standing up and saying, look what, look what I did for God. He's saying, look what, look what Christ Jesus did. By me not coming, this work was done. In fact, he goes on to explain it further in 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Here's your little Bible study tip this morning. Anytime a word begins with, passage begins with the word for in front of it, it means a rationale is coming. It's explaining the statement before. So the statement before is, man, I'm just boasting of Jesus. I'm, I'm proud of what Jesus has done. Here's the reason why I'm proud. I don't speak of any, I'm proud. I'm proud of Jesus. And I will only speak of Jesus because here's what he's done. He's brought Gentiles into obedience, which is how this letter of Romans actually begins. 
the chapter 1, he starts talking about the obedience of faith. He starts saying, why is he talking about the obedience of faith? The obedience of faith is written because this is the point. Our lives get transformed. Our minds get renewed so we can love one another. And that is the worship that God desires. This is what this is about. And so Paul will not speak of anything other than what Christ has done because he sees what he's done to the Gentiles. They have come into obedience. It's been done by word, what he preached, and deed by the way he loved and served others. And not only that, look at verse 19. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, some get a little tripped up there in verse 19, right? They kind of go, what's the signs and wonders? And, and is this all of a sudden, did Paul just suddenly take a left turn and start getting into other stuff? No, I, I want you to understand something. First of all, let's simply define it. What is a sign? A sign is not the point, right? The sign points you to something, right? If, I, if I'm, when I'm driving here from Atlanta and I see a sign that, you know, Aniston is 30 miles away, I don't stop at the sign, take a picture in front of the sign, go, I made it, I'm here, you know, sending selfies of myself in front of the sign, you know. That would look really dumb because the sign points to something. The point isn't the sign, right? So if anybody starts getting off on the sign, you start thinking, why are you getting all kind of rallied up about the sign, because the sign isn't the point. The sign points to something, and it points to the gospel, right? You see that? So there's the sign. What's a wonder? Wonder is just awe. Well, God does amazing things when you're on mission. You don't see the signs and wonders if you're not in the mission. And if you're in a place that's not on mission and they're doing signs and wonders, get out. Because the point is the mission, Right? I'll give you just a really brief example. I can't really go into detail on this in a public setting. But I was at a border crossing one time. It's kind of a dangerous border crossing. And I got pulled out by the individual at the border crossing who thought, saw my passport, thought I was a spy. Saw an American passport. And uh, I think he was trying to maybe extort some money or whatever. But, uh, and in the course of this moment, he's getting a little bit worked up and and I'm just kind of standing there, and, uh, and it's kind of funny because I, I get nervous about dumb things, and for some reason I wasn't nervous about that. And that bothers me that I get nervous about dumb things, you know, because like I'm just kind of standing there, and he's yelling at me. I can hardly understand him because he was upset. And, uh, and at that moment, some people that were with me were a little bit afraid because they thought I was going to get thrown in, into this prison. And they thought, oh, if you go in that prison, you'll never get out. And... and uh, but I'm just standing there, and, you know, the key to missionary work is just look really dumb and just have a dumb smile on your face all the time. Just stand there, smile. I don't know, you know. You're going to do what you're going to do. And so all of a sudden somebody takes out this piece of bread and does just something with the bread. That's all I want to just say, something just benign with the bread. And somehow that piece of bread so annoyed that border guard that he just starts shouting at me. I took that as get back in the van. I don't know what he said, but I just jumped back in the van and hid in the back seat. And, uh, and he got so upset with this person that he sent us on our way. And you think, what just happened there? Everybody in the van was like, what just happened? How did this, what, what just took place? And I said, you know what just took place? God's just confirming that he's with us, right? There's a sign that he's with us. And there's a wonder that we're in awe that today's not my day to get thrown in jail. Right? A piece of bread can get me out of a tense situation. But we're going to take this as a sign and a wonder. 
This is a sign pointing to us that God is with us. Now, he'd still be with me if I was thrown in jail. But at this moment, this was not the time. And it's a moment of wonder. Because we're in awe of how powerful God is. That he can use a loaf of bread to shut down an angry guy with a gun. It's just amazing. Those are the things. Paul's saying, and, and you read the stories of the miracles that happened in his life, all pointing to do what? To affirm the message of the gospel. So he's saying God divinely backed the message. And it was so divinely backed that he says from Jerusalem all the way around to the Balkans, to use it in our terms, we we're able to fulfill the mission. I guess I'm saying that's a bold statement. How in the world did he fulfill the mission from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium? Well, the way he did it was that he didn't plant thousands of churches. He planted churches in strategic cities, strategic locations that were able to carry on. Just practically what he did. If you look at the places he went, he went to strategic locations. Right now, Taylor, <clears throat> the beginning of the service, was referring to the work, work that, that he and Anna are doing. And they are doing work in a strategic church in a strategic location that's going to be carrying on the gospel in areas long past their time there. You have other missionaries up north working in a strategic city to have lasting impact on 23 communities that don't have the gospel. This is just the mission. This is what he did. And knowing that those things were in place, he knew he could move on. So look at verse 20. He says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. Now, I want to make a little caveat. i got to put on like my missionary president hat for a moment here. <clears throat> and I want to make this statement here. Verse 20 is not the Great Commission. And I say, why would I say that? This is Paul's part of the Great Commission. There are missionaries that are doing missionary work where other missionaries are working. They're not in sin. The Great Commission is make disciples of every nation, everywhere, the whole world, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the world. It's the whole thing, man. We're responsible for the whole planet with this vapor of life we have. So the reason why I'm saying this is that there are... Because Paul is saying, my job is not to stay in those places, but to keep planting those things. But Timothy's job was to stay there, right? He left Timothy back there. He left Titus, Epaphroditus. There's a whole group of guys that were building on other men's foundations. I want to say that because sometimes you might go to a conference and somebody's saying, hey, man, if they're not out there where there's nobody other doing work, then they're not carrying out the Great Commission. And I would say, this is not the Great Commission. This is Paul's part of the Great Commission. Thank you for letting me stand on that soapbox. I will step down now. Okay. <laughs> Though, I love what Paul's doing. And I want to do that same thing. Okay? But it's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the whole planet. Man, if you're making disciples anywhere in the world, you're fulfilling the Great Commission. Okay? It's everywhere. It's the whole planet. It's pretty simple. Okay? So, boy, I just stepped on that soapbox again, didn't I? Okay. I might step back on it a few times, just bear with me. But I want you to notice this. So he's saying, now that this is done, I need to keep going because my mission is Psalm 52, 15. 
Psalm 52, 15, that there are people who haven't heard yet that need to hear. And so I've got to keep going and building those strategic cities and then leaving people behind me to keep carrying the work on. I've got to keep doing this because this is why we're here. This is the purpose for this space in life. The space in life is designed so that the gospel would go out and that people from every tribe and nation would come in. And so we love people like Paul and what they're doing, and they are part of the Great Commission. But you're part of the Great Commission, whether you go with us to the four corners of the world or not. Because it's the whole planet. It's the whole planet. And so Paul then says this is the mission. So now, we've seen this first point, and I hope you get it. The heart of mission is worship. His goal was to go out, make sure these people bring the gospel to people who have not heard it, form them up, he planted in strategic cities so the work could reproduce into the more remote areas and that their lives would be transformed. And he saw himself as a priest, not a missionary, preparing the worship for God. Now, we move to the second point then. This is our concluding point here as we start to get ready to land a plane here. What drives worship is mission then. This is just saying the same thing from another way. I want to show this to you. Look at verses 22 through 24. <clears throat> this is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Right? This is his argument. Why have I been hindered? Here's the reason. This is the reason. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Paul says, all right, I got my eyes set on Spain. There's the next place that we need to kind of press on, right? We want to live on the edges. I'm, I'm going out on the edges, and I want to come and see you because what we did from Jerusalem into the Balkans, we need to start launching from you to go up to Spain. All right, we're, we're just going to continue to take Europe. So this is what we're doing. But the first thing he needs is that he wants to be encouraged by them, right? He, 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 wants, he wants them to, uh, he longs to be with them. He wants to be refreshed by them. It needs to be built up, right? It's tough work. But then second, and this is really what I want to focus on here, this, here as we kind of close, is that Paul wanted them to help him in his ministry to Spain. Now, I want you to understand what that word help means, okay? I want you to understand what this word help means. I'm going to do it by just giving you just a simple illustration of this, okay? I'm going to ask you to vote, so you're going to have to raise your hand here in a minute here, Okay. Let's say you've been working 28 days straight, you haven't had a day off, okay? Now, tomorrow is your day off. You finally have it after 28 days of working. You have a day off. A friend calls you, and they could say one of two things, and I'd like to know which one of these two things would you like them to say to you. One would be this. A friend calls you and says, hey, listen, I'm moving tomorrow. Can I get some advice from you? That's the first thing. The second thing is, hey, I'm moving tomorrow. I'd like some help from you. Who would like him to say advice? All right. It's a unanimous vote, okay? There's a difference between advice and help, right? If he calls you on that one day that you have off and he says, would you help me move? What are you doing tomorrow? You are moving. You have a day off? No. Nope. And you know this is going to take eight times longer because they haven't packed everything, right? <laughs> They're telling you it's all ready. 
right? And then you get there and like, hey, could you take me over to pick up the truck? You know, my wife's still packing some boxes and, oh, no. And I'm just going to get a box of pizza at the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've all been there, all right? We share that pain. Paul says, I want you to help me. The word help there carries with it everything that carries with it if I ask you to help me move. I want you all in. This help means to launch, to propel, to join. It's an embedded word that carries with it the fullness of saying, we're reaching Spain together. We're doing this together. So I want to be refreshed because then we got a mission to go. This is the mission we need to go on. This is the role of reaching the nations. And we have to go. And what I want to tell you is that he's inviting them into this mission of preparing worshipers for God. Because the very heart of our existence is to be part of this mission. He didn't just go there and say, I need some money. Send me on my way. He says, I want to be refreshed so we can join in this together. Why? Because this is really what this is about. The maturity of the church in Rome, which they've already displayed their maturity, is going to lead to them participating in the mission. We said this yesterday, but the whole point of discipleship isn't Christian maturity, but gospel mission. That's the point of discipleship. The point of discipleship isn't that you would grow and just be a strong Christian and then hide out and complain about the world until the rapture comes. The point is that we got to pause. And no matter how crazy things get politically, we got to pause. And there are people that we need to go get. Well, we're waiting for Christ to return, so let's go get them. Let's not worry about it, right? Because God will back it up with signs and wonders, man. He is with us. He's all in. He's the one who designed the pause. So he's not worried about politics. Right? He's not worried about this stuff. He is not anxious at all about these things that we are so anxious about. He's put us in this space in this time. He's given us this vapor to go out and bring these people in. This is what this Advent's about. So let's kind of wrap this up. What do we do? Here's the point I want you to understand. First of all, the heart of mission is worship. And what drives us worship is not just music, but mission itself. That we would participate. That you would participate. <clears throat> Jesus in his, made two statements, one about the church and one about us that are very important to remember and keep in order. Jesus said, I will build my church. You make disciples of every nation. What do we spend our time doing? Building a church. Focusing on the church, getting the church built up, and then we just trust that Jesus in his divine sovereign election will make disciples. I will guarantee you one thing. If I were at work, if I left one morning for work and on my way out, my, my wife said to me, Steve, make sure you're home by four today. And then she texted me mid-morning, make sure you're home by four. And then she called me at noon, said, make sure you're home by four. And then she texted me at one, make sure you're home by four. At two, she texted me, make sure you're home by four. At three o'clock, she texted me, make sure you're home by four. And I come home at six. How much trouble am I in? <laughs> yeah, 
there were some women that knew where this was headed, and they had this look on their face like, you better get home by four, right? <laughs> what would happen if God said over 700 times in the Old Testament, I want my name made known among the nations, right? What would happen if Jesus said, hey, if you bury the gospel in the sand, I'm sending you to hell? Well, what would you do with that? What would you do with that? What would you do if he said, I'll build my church. You go make disciples of the nations. What happens if that's in the Bible? Man, if I'm in trouble not by coming home at four, what about if I ignore the very word of God? You see, spiritual maturity has to lead to mission. This is what this pause is about. This is the pause. We're on that pause. You have been called by God to be sent That's what this is about. And this leads us to what you looked at last week. All the people coming and worshiping the Lord. So let me give you just three things, and, and I'll close in prayer that you can think through. Number one, you should engage the mission of God right here, right now, today. This is what this is about. You need to be sold out as much as your missionaries are sold out. Going somewhere to another nation doesn't mean you're sold out. Christianity means you should be sold out. Everything else is just location. And location is not a calling. It's a location. The gospel's your call. Somebody tell me, oh, I'm, I'm called to go to Russia. Huh. Where is that one? In the Bible. I'm sure I saw the calling to Russia, but I appreciate your desire to go to Russia, but your calling's to the gospel because what happens if on your way to Russia you get thrown in jail and you never get there? Then you're going to be sitting in jail whining and complaining you never made it to Russia. Paul could be thrown in jail because it didn't matter. His calling was to the gospel. And if the gospel meant in jail, then we're preaching it in jail. It's everywhere, man. Your callings to the gospel, everything else is just location. Right? So be sold out. Number two, so important. This just seems like the trite pastoral conclusion here, but please don't take it that way. Engage the word of God, right? That's pray, study your Bible, right? Typical application. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about engaging the word of God so that your mind would be transformed and your life would be transformed. So that you would be suitable worship to the Lord. Because this is part of this, right? I want to engage the mission now, and I want to be a worshiper of God right now. And then, once you say, man, Lord, change my heart, I'd be sold out. Man, change my life, conform me to your image. And then three, ask the Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? I'll go. But that number three is not the first question. You can't get to that third question where you should go till you get to the first one. Are you all in on the gospel and the mission? And are you all in on having a life lived worthy of the gospel? And then ask the Lord where you should go and then talk with the elders about it. Man, because this is what this space is for. This is what this space is for. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for this incredible passage. I thank you for the way that it, man, it challenges me, calls me to remember 
the value and the priority of the mission. Lord God, would you just please cause three things to happen here this morning, Lord God. Number one, may we all unite to be all in. May you remember, you didn't suggest that we make disciples of all nations. You told us to make disciples. You told us you will build your church so we can relax. The church will not be stopped. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Lord, you told us over 700 times in the gospel that you wanted your glory to be made known among the nations. And you told us that the whole purpose of the end of the age is that people from every tribe and tongue and nation would come to gather around you to worship. And you've given us this pause, this Advent season, to go out and be faithful with the gospel. So, Lord, man, please, Lord God, please make us all in. Second, Lord God, I pray that we would be in love with your word, that it would transform our minds, that we would be part of that living sacrifice, offering our lives and our bodies to you as suitable worship. Thank you for the word that has the power to change us and your spirit that has the power to transform us. And man, we just know that you will do this because this is what you said you will do. And then three, Lord God, would you move in people's hearts to see where you want them to be? Now that they're living a life worthy of the gospel, living a life ordered, structured by the gospel, may you open doors, and Lord, may you cast people out to be part of the harvest where there's more people coming to faith in you than we have harvesters to get. Lord God, may you just send them out. In Christ's name.